Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, the J10 Initiative. And here we go, folks. Now we're we are now recording. Welcome to the podcast. This is a podcast. Father Nathan. Father John. Welcome to it. Welcome to our podcast. It was a snow day today. For some. For some, not for all. For the elect. I had a plan uh, all laid out if we did get a snow day. Uh, so I, I had already canceled uh, the parish, like the parish office was closed, the early learning center was closed, and I was just banking on the presbyterate meeting being Zoom only. Right. And it was going to be sourdough pancakes with strawberry rhubarb syrup and pajama day all day. And uh, we had we had the purpose of the meeting, which was nice. I mean, actually, like, the roads were clear, uh, and, uh, you know, it was probably a better thing for me to go down to that. Last night, the uh, snow was coming down hard, but anybody who's been in Colorado long enough knows that that early... I should say, anybody who's uh, been in Colorado long enough and, and is a grown child, like uh, we are, still banking on snow days... Yes. So you know how to play these things, and you realize that if the snow comes too early, the plows are going to be on it, and the roads are going to be fine. Except if you had priest dinner last night at Cafe Marcato, and uh, you were watching the rector drink uh, grappa at the end of the night, thinking, right, this is going to get interesting. Could be. And there was a little inception by uh, the vice rector, kind of p- planting the idea of snow day. Well placed, and uh, sure enough. The thing is, though, Jefferson County was already closed by 9 p.m. Yeah, so, uh, was Denver closed? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not, this I don't is know. the question, though. Now that they do all this online That's stuff. That's exactly it. It was, a, it was not a snow day. It was a remote learning only day. Ah, uh, yes. So what is it going to take to get an actual snow day? I think it's going to have to be an ice storm that, that cuts power. Yeah. Because if you don't have power, you can't. That is true. I got home last night about 9 o'clock from this dinner, and I forgot the garage. We have this kind of garage code a thing, and I said, I texted the guys. I said, uh, what's the garage code? First guy to respond gets to sleep in through holy hour, and boom, Stephen Natong responds, and the others were like, oh. And I was like, but guess what? It's a snow day. And they were all like, oh. So I hope some of them listened to your podcast on snow, on snow days. It was excellent. Mm. I preached about it. I basically stole that podcast and Perfect. gave a homily on it today. Snow days are uh, the experience of gratuity. Yes. You get a gift. Yep, it's an event by which God demonstrates his sovereignty over our world. Right. Foot of snow, it shut it down, and we had a nice day of rest. It was a study day for the guys, but uh, now they're watching Mighty Ducks upstairs, probably drinking boozy shakes. I, uh, I, had, a, I had a boozy shake the other day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the classic French vanilla uh, Bailey's combo. Classic, yeah. I mean, doesn't get much better than that. Our prayers go out to the to the people of Texas, though. Uh, yeah. That was not necessarily a snow day. That was, um, yeah, that was um, hellish. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was reading a story about a guy who needed to, uh, his oxygen machine uh, stopped working, so he had to charge it in his truck, and I guess the battery went out, and he died oh. in his truck. Um, like, either, like, through hypothermia or through... Um, What's it called? Um, 
uh, asphyxiation because he couldn't get enough oxygen. It's like Ugh. we don't even think about like how dependent we are on electricity. Electricity. So, but we we certainly intercede and, and pray for all the people who were disaffected by the the storm in Texas. I was reading too that like some people's power bills are like seventeen grand because they had to run whatever um, uh, what was it called space heaters, right? So, well, I was gonna share discuss some bad news, but that obviously this is not anything bad compared to what you just said. But uh, in other news, Daft Punk. Well, yes, that's yeah, folks. Um, I Monday was my day off, as most many priests take Mondays off. I was having a very quiet morning. Um, j- I had I had already I had gotten up at like seven on my day off, which is rare. And uh, I was feeling good, like just going to look online, you know, see what the news was, whatever. And uh, sure enough, Daft Punk announcing that they were done. And watch that video. Did you watch it? No. You haven't seen it yet? No. Oh, we'll have to watch it at the break, the epilogue. Okay. Yeah, it's um, it's graphic. Yeah? It's graphic, yeah. It's for those who... Um, have uh have an affection for daft punk so and then uh father peter musset who i texted who hadn't heard yet that they'd broken up and then uh he said the pain is felt around, around the, world. the world and i was like too soon buddy. too soon that was father greg who texted that. i think i don't know who came up with that first but you know uh, they were together that sounds oh they were okay i was gonna say that was very clever no this is a band that takes us back to all the way back to high school for me and uh i uh i have never seen uh, I've seen a lo- you draw a lot of inspiration, creative genius, the daimon kind of coming out of music, your experience of listening to music. Yeah. I've never seen anything like that one album. Random Access Punk. Memories. Random yeah. Access Memories. You've, you've drawn, a, drawn a collective kind of inspiration for years, mostly playing cards as we've True. totally pistol whipped. Yes. LeJoie, McClagan, yeah. whoever was our vanquishing foe. We did that. Remember, it was on in the background whenever we played the Joliet guys? Yeah. Who we still need to give you know a shout out to. Yeah, but not yet. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been meaning to do a, a podcast on one of their songs. Um, maybe we'll do that for the second one. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, they're... Yeah, they, they certainly had a... Uh, a run that was pretty impressive, uh, but as somebody put it, they haven't put out an album in seven years, and now they're officially retiring. Right? Yeah, they were weird like that. They would just do an album every like seven, ten years or whatever. And do you, you know, know there's something. pictures of of their actual faces? Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I googled it. The Goog machine. It's amazing what you can find. Find on the Goog. Yeah. So Daft Punk's over, but uh, Random Access Memories lives on, and I think we can still charge. Charge hard into uh, cribbage victories I hope. Uh, under their banner, like we always have. I hope, yeah. I hope that it. You're nervous though. You're nervous. The mojo's gone. Yeah, I, I don't want to. I don't want to have to flip to like the Jonas Brothers or something. You know, <laughs> like, that would be that would be most unfortunate. That's one of my favorite memories from Boulder. We were riding with Musset in his Jeep. Do you remember this? And we were listening to uh, we were listening to Random Access Memories, uh, and he was playing the song Beyond. Oh, yeah. Uh, which I had never... It was one of those things that, like, I'm a total, like, pop star, you know, kind of like... You just know certain songs from the album because that's what they play on the radio. Right. So I hadn't heard Get Lucky, 
So, uh, and then somebody played it for me. I was like, wow, this is super cool. And then started listening to that. And then other people were like, no, you need to listen to, well, was, uh, Father Josh Mayer uh, from Gallup was right. like, it's doing it right with Panda Bear. Right. And I was like, that's it. And that became our Dishes song at the Companions House for years, or for that year that he was there. And then you were up in Boulder, and then I went up there, and, and he was like, no, you got to listen to Beyond. So, anyways... But uh, that's one of those albums that it uh, it just continues to you find new like touch you were inspired by that that song you know mm-hmm. so you just keep kind of mining more deeply into the the brilliance of Daft Punk but I I tried to play that album for my sister and company up in Crested Butte a couple weeks ago and they were, they basically booed me out of the what? out of the kitchen so it's not for everybody well I will say um, uh, you you played one song from. Uh, Nathaniel Ratliff's and it's still all right. Yeah, album. And so as soon as I heard that one song, I was like, I got to get the whole album. And it is, it's very good as yeah. well. So I, I used to be, you know, like the Napster kid that was just like, you know, you, you had Napster, sixty different songs right. from like fifty different artists, and so you had one or two. But now I'm more like, you know, I like the whole album thing. Barstad used to whip out some Leonard Cohen. You know, and oh, uh, he he'd play like some like you know. Well, this is on this album, whatever. And I'm like, I don't really have that, but I I could do that with you know, Daft Punk. I as soon as I heard that they broke up, I went online to their store because I've been meaning to do it, um, and I I you know put it off too late. Uh, but their their album, their record album, actually has uh, an inscription on the inside of the of the the record um so um anyways so i wanted to i wanted to get it for that reason you're gonna get it okay that's cool i'm going i'm going i'm going to get it um but uh the 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 whole store is shut down the whole the whole daft punk store is shut down oh like you can't buy anything oh yeah i'm sure it's over they're just they're just saying you know we're done we're done it's over but uh i have made a shameless plug to the podcast, you know, world before that, if anybody has a 3D printer and can make me a Daft Punk helmet, now we're talking. I would very much appreciate that. Or two of them, right? And which one would you be? The gold one or the silver one? I don't know. I don't know. I haven't really ever thought about that. I think about things like who am I? You know, on the dream team. You know, you, you heard I? about that. You who know? am I? <laughs> who am I? Yeah, exactly. Just to piss off Joe McGill. John's like who, Charles Barkley. Who do you think I am? I no, like, I said, oh, I said, who do you think the other guys are, other than me being Michael Jordan, and just to piss off everybody, and it worked. Yep. Evan Coop's like your Christian Lakner, all promise, no delivery. Wow. Yeah. That's. Yeah, that's what he said. That's dangerous. Uh, he's upset. He's Larry Bird. So, all right. John's well, at the ten minute mark. At of the, the risk, thank at you the risk so much, folks. Of. Uh, falling asleep because we're in a food coma right now because we just scarfed Cosmo's pizza with a bunch of 25-year-old punks. Spicy AKA Ranch. A.K.A. Snow Day. Spicy Kitchen was ranch. closed. Spicy Ranch is delicious, but... Man, oh, my gosh. I, then, I, can't, I can't live like... I mean, it's just these guys can just crush this stuff, and it's just like no problem. And I, I my blood sugar, I just... The insulin levels, I can't, can't handle it, you know? That, so. that's the slice, the, <laughs> that slice on that Cosmo's pizza was seriously like... I mean, it was like a New York style, you know, yeah. huge slice. And guys are just like taking whole slices. <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah, Andrew Olson, his head disappeared behind the slice as he was eating it. I don't know if you saw that. So. 
But yeah, good to be together uh, tonight. Rather undeveloped, uh, unformed idea. Um, I'm working on a paper uh, that I'd like to turn into a podcast, uh, but it's not. It's, I was hoping it'd be finished. It's not finished, so that's still in the hopper. That's on the Neocatechumenal way. That's coming. That'll come in the next month. Uh, but I want to kind of shore that up a bit more. So we had to kind of dig around a little more to find something. And so this is going to be more of a conversation, right? Okay. Instead of an instruction, you know? Well, I like that. So a nice, gentle, gentle one after we packed in, you know? We packed in a lot in the last two weeks. Uh, so this will be a little uh, more kind of, uh, yeah, conversational. Do you know the name Fran Mayer? Dialectic. Yes. Oh, that's perfect. I just read this article. You did. Yeah. Somebody needs to be dead. It's great. This is the topic for today. So Fran Mayer uh, was the chancellor of our diocese for the entirety of uh, Archbishop Chaput's Yeah. Chaput uh, inherited him. I think he was there with Stafford before. Really? Yeah. Um, I think he's a bow tie man. He's a bow tie guy for sure. Um, he, uh, I don't think I've ever had a conversation with him. Yep. That makes sense. Uh, but he is, uh, I know he's brilliant. Um, I'm pretty sure that he aided the archbishop in some of his writings. Yes. Let's just put it that right. way. Maybe spell checking. He's the kind of guy that I think I've never had a conversation with, but I like to think that I've had a conversation with, if you know what I mean. It's actually never happened. I'm like, oh yeah, Fran Mayer, yeah, we go way back. Yeah, I've known him for many. It's like, no, he wouldn't know who I was on the street. You know, If you could have one conversation with somebody like uh, right now, you know, like you could call you could call them up and just be like, "I want to pick your brain." Who would it be? You and me, probably Daft Punk. Those two. Well, yeah. That just say, be. "How do we free our minds?" You can watch an interview with Giorgio. Oh yeah, you can watch an interview where he describes how he he came to know those guys and how they came on. Yeah, I don't know. You got that? Is that a? Is that just a a really truly genuine question? Because sometimes questions like that are like you already got. No, no, no. I just you know like. You just seem like you'd have somebody that already, already you're like, yeah, I'd really like to pick this person's brain. Yeah. You're always thinking about something. So, Well, I, uh, I will say I talked to Archbishop Shappy this week, uh, our old archbishop, and our, in many ways our spiritual father, and uh, he took me to task. Took me to task. And this was in spiritual direction, so I'll spare you the details. But, man, I, I was like... I zinged. I mean, he really was zinging me. And uh, I don't know what he, he ate his Wheaties for breakfast or what, but uh, he, he took me to task and I was like, oh. And then he, he sent me a follow up text because I think he knew I was a little tender. Mm. And uh, I wrote back Proverbs 312. Um, a fool will <laughs> reprove you for correcting him, whereas a wise man will thank you. Uh, no. Close. But uh, as a father, oh, shoot, what is it? Oh, I'm sorry, like Proverbs 3.12, John. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. This is the King James. I don't know why I just Googled this. Mm. Even as a father, a son whom he delights. For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Sure. And he says, I love you as a son. And and that was was enough for me to kind of begin to assimilate some of the uh, difficult truths that I didn't want to hear, but made me love him all the more. We need uh, we need fathers. We don't want fathers. We live in a in a fatherless age. Balthazar is a beautiful essay where he he says uh, he wrote an article called 
a Marian church in a fatherless and motherless culture, and I think there's some truth in that in terms of uh, where are the fathers? Where are the men who have the kind of relationship with us that uh, can really chastise us and really challenge us in a way that we don't want to hear, but we, we know deep down we can receive. But yeah. it might take a little while. You and I um, were very blessed to have uh, fathers who were strong men who were present and who loved us. And I, uh, I was thinking of all the funny stories um, that you and I have shared and laughed about over the years of Dave Goebel and Daryl Neppel um, dealing with us wild, mm-hmm. wild men that yep. they had to raise along with other children. Uh, my favorite story with my dad always is um, I was in seventh grade and we were hiking our first 14 with my brother's Boy Scout group. I'm sure I've told this story on the podcast before. Mount Albert and... We, I, I had never done a, done a hiking before, really, and uh, wasn't really interested. Just got dragged along, as kids do on these things. And uh, we got to the base of the mountain. This is about 11,000 feet. And uh, we're unpacking everything in the tent. And I look in my bag, and no sleeping bag. And I was like, oh, no. Because it, it was cold. It, mm. was like, it was a cold night. And uh, my dad, I look at him, and I kind of give like the, the kind of sad... Oh, Dad, forgot my sleeping bag. Thinking, you know, maybe he'll just be like, you know, son, that you can have mine. Yeah, right. right. And he looks at me and he goes, "Well, tonight you're going to learn a life lesson." That was it. <laughs> and uh, he he denies ever saying that, but it's seared into my memory because I learned a life lesson, uh, which is don't forget your sleeping bag because it was the worst night's sleep of my entire life, and I learned my lesson. And. Uh, I, I hated him for that. I was miserable all night. Um, and these are the moments that you, you look back and you're like, man, thank God he loved me enough to actually say, you're going to learn a life lesson today. Right. Now, what do you have done with my sister? I don't think so, but that's okay. You know? Agreed. Yeah, I, I preached on this whenever I was at home because uh, it, was, it, it was a similar reading, which is like um, every son every son a father reproves uh, from um, uh, Hebrews. Um, talking about the the goodness of, of discipline. And I said, I said, it was in this church when we used to have uh, bright orange chairs um, that I was squirming and, you know, kind of fussing. And then my dad said in the middle of Mass, do you want to go outside? And I said, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like, finally. Like, we don't have to sit here. Like, I don't have to listen to this. We could go outside and play. Like, this is so much better than anything that has ever been offered to me. Of course I want to go outside. We walk outside. They have not renovated the exterior, like the the vestibule. So I remember there was two double doors because, like, uh, it kept the the whatever um, the snow and the wind out. The two double doors shut, and uh, we go through the first set of doors and then the second set of doors. And then I remember that second set of doors closed, and then I realized what had, what had happened. And Dad grabbed me and put me over his <laughs> knee and swatted me twice and was like, "Don't you ever make me leave Mass again." We're gonna go back in that church. Do you want to go outside again? And I said no. And he goes, "Do you want to? Do you want to stay in church?" I said yes. And probably like um, you know, I don't know how many other fathers would do that for a seventeen-year-old kid. Yeah. Uh, but you know, uh, <laughs> I uh, no, I was just very, I was very grateful. And like, I am, I am thankful when I look back on that moment because I had this similar experience. Like, you don't love me. It's uh, it's evident you just did that because you wanted to assert your dominance, but uh, but looking back on it, it was like he was pointing me towards something more 
that I uh, I couldn't see, and I was only I don't know like five or six or something like that. I mean, maybe four. Who knows? But I don't. I'm not in counseling over that still. Right. And some parents are still like nervous that they 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 were too aggressive with that. It's like no, I look back on that and I'm like, thank you. Yeah, I mean, we, uh, you know, the whole spanking thing is another uh, another topic. But I, you know, my father was very comfortable doing that regularly. My mom tried once. We burst out laughing, and that was the end of that. Exactly. But then it was just go upstairs and tell your father's home. And uh, he used oh, to yeah. do this thing up the stairs where he would. We he he was the master of kind of the mind games mm-hmm. because of the military, the West Point training. So mm-hmm. he would send us up, and he knew that the the anticipation was worse than the actual physical. You know. But we would hear these steps, and we would laugh at him. We must have been, we were like, you must have been walking so slowly and so pronounced every step, just like, ah, by the time you would come up. Um, But yeah, there's the experience of, you don't love me. Um, And I, as a 37-year-old man in spiritual direction this week, I left there thinking, you don't love me. Uh, And what's beneath that is, um, I'm a failure. Yeah, I, I, I'm really I suck as a priest, yep. which is what I which is the the wounds and that's what we feel. Yeah, um, and uh, there's a choice. The difference between, of course, being a kid and being an adult is that as an adult you can be like, yeah, I, I probably need to find an, a different spiritual director, you know, who's just more gentle and more uh, kind affirming. of affirming and just who just encourages me where I'm at, you yes. know, kind of loves me where I'm at. And these thoughts went through my mind, and then I was like, that's insane, that's insane. Uh, because you're giving into the lies by by going into that kind of defeatism, um, so we shy away from good fathers. We don't want to be challenged, but deep down we do, and deep down we know that even as much as we we didn't like that and we resisted that, um, that we we desperately need this. Uh, another example, the reason this is on my mind, and the reason why this this article from Fran Mayer. So this article is uh, posted on First Things online. Somebody needs to be dad is the name of it, um, and uh, but. Another great father uh, who I'm, I'm great to be, grateful to be friends with is John Bixenman, who just turned 50, hmm. 5-0, uh, great guy, great cyclist, uh, great father. And uh, he, one of the things that John loves dearly is to have seminarians and priests over and have an intentional conversation with his kids over the meal, which his kids are like, oh, this is so lame, you know. Um, but what he said to them on Monday when I was over there is the kind of the topic of conversation, which ended up being really beautiful um, with his kids and some, and one of their friends was there. As he said, "What is prayer to you? And as your father, have I taught you how to pray?" Hmm. And that's a very vulnerable thing to step into, especially with teenage kids who don't want to talk about this. And I said, "John, that is so beautiful because um, I had great parents and a good and a good upbringing, but we we've never talked like that." I never ever heard that. Con- I've never even that question was never even posed to me, um, and it's not to blame my parents. It was just we grew up in a time where nobody in my family knew what prayer was, and we hadn't. They hadn't had the kind of father figures, spiritual father figures, who could help them understand that. And I thought this is a really, uh, this is a really amazing thing. So fathers have to kind of have the confidence to be un- to to be uncool, to be awkward, to be uncomfortable, but to kind of raise and elevate the life of the conversation and the family do it naturally do it intentionally um and with that comes the challenge of like really thinking about that and uh, i love the i love the way he did that and and it made me think you know why is he doing this because as fran Mayer said somebody's got to be dead mm-hmm. somebody's got to be dead 
And that fatherhood points back to the origin of all of creation, which is fatherhood. And so with the whole going into, I mean, uh, and I'll pause before I go into my whole kind of meta thing on, on fatherhood, but um, this strikes at the very core of, the, of who God is and what creation is. And if you don't have a father who images that and who points to that, everything gets kind of dismantled and it's hard to it's hard to rebuild that you know it's it's certainly possible um we know many many people who have come out of fatherless families or have had bad father father experiences uh and they persevere in that in that relationship with the fatherhood of god but at the end of the day this is not something that we can kind of cut away you know mm-hmm. and just kind of remove from the christian faith it, it really is at the heart of it is the father well, I feel kind of bad. One, uh, I think I told that story last time we were on the podcast about my dad spanking me. I really don't, <laughs> I really don't think about that very often. Just so happens that uh, we're mentioning Dave Goble two weeks in a row, uh, which he's delighting in. Um, but uh, so that's the first thing. The second thing I would say is um, today's gospel uh, was about um, your. Um, what what father among you would hand his son a snake if he asked for an egg or a stone if he asked for a fish or whatever it is, you know what I mean? Um, and it says, if you who are wicked know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would your heavenly father give good gifts to those, you know, whom he loves? So the question I would have is, is correction and discipline an aspect of God's providence? Because providence is seeing forth, seeing forward, and actually at, at noticing that this is ultimately uh, what you need for your good. And we think of providence just as, you're going to give me good things. Like, I'm going to ask for gifts, and you're going to give it for me. You're the best dad ever. Like, I want a bike. I want a fishing rod. I want a car. I want new swimming trunks, whatever. Like, you're thinking of all these different things, um, but do we actually consider correction and discipline as part of God's providence? I'd never really put those two together. Yeah. Well, I think that um, I think we must uh, put them together. I don't think that we do naturally, though. Because, like you said, providence, we think of, you provide for me what I want, um, instead of providence as you're guiding me towards my end. Right? right? The what is fatherhood? Fatherhood is the one who generates and educates life. All right? So you, you, you bear life and then educate in the sense of you bring humans into the, into the fullness of who they are and what they're, what they're about. I watched a, a great video of Jackson getting his first tooth pulled out. What? And dad had to do it. And there was a lot of tears and blood. And then there was rejoicing, you know. It was just like all the boys just went nuts because it's like, we got the tooth out. And it was just, you know. And these little moments, uh, they add up. Um, Everything everything matters, um, all of these actions. But it's all providential in the sense that, like you're saying, the things that we don't want, correction. Nobody wants to be corrected. Nobody wants to be reproved or... Or, uh, but oh, yeah. the, but if we lose that sense of if we're operating out of this kind of self creation ethos, I decide and determine who I want to be, 
And if, if parents instill that in their children at a young age, then there's automatically the impossibility of any authority whatsoever, uh, of any kind of reprovement. And so not only can you not receive correction, you can't even receive gifts. This is the problem with spoiled children. They actually can't receive the giftedness of anything because they yeah. grasp and demand everything. Yeah. I preached today about, I said, guys, snow days are so great because we stand in authority and obedience to the, to the rector. He gave us this gift today of a snow day. But if we were all self-employed or kind of, I don't know, individuals kind of doing, living in apartments and kind of, you know, doing our own seminary life separated, when there was no system, there was no structure of authority, like being self-employed and giving yourself a snow day, that doesn't sound very exciting. But when you receive it, you know, then that's something. So that requires that I live in some kind of obedience or some kind of submission to somebody else. And that's where I re receive the gratuity and the giftedness of everything. And this whole self-creation thing destroys that. It dismantles that whole relationship with, with fathers, mothers, authority in general. And we lose, we lose the gift, the ability to understand and receive things as gift. Yeah, I would just offer like... and that even in the moment where you receive that correction or that um, that discipline, it's going to be a messy moment. Like, I can attest to that from my own life from my childhood. I can attest to that even from my last week where God actually gifted me with punishment or correction, and I just went berserk, absolutely berserk. And uh, similar to those experiences as children or on the mountainside, that it's like in that moment, you will doubt the provident, loving, um, yeah, goodness of the Father um, and automatically assume I've been abandoned, I've been forgotten, um, everyone's against me, whatever. Um, and it's only after not just reflection and time, but also like seeing the fruits. So one of the things that we asked for in the companions, we did this exercise last week, which I thought was really beautiful, was what are the gifts and graces that you want to ask for from God, for the association or individually? And one of the things that I said was, I would like a cross that bears fruit. And I realize in asking for that, I'm asking for something more than I think I actually want, but ultimately, I've realized in the course of my life that in those moments, I was actually closest to the Lord. And instead of just like, just give me the gifts, give me all the gifts. Because then, having received those crosses, then I can actually receive the gift of where's the resurrection? Because the resurrection is a gift. It's not a natural consequence of the, of the cross. It is, it is gifted. It's received. He was raised. I mean, that's interesting. Did he, raise, did he rise from the dead like himself, or was he raised from the dead like the Father? Yeah. And I don't know. So. Yeah, I, the, um, there's a lot there to, to chew on. I, I, I do think that everything returns back to that Trinitarian relationship that we're drawn into in the Christian life. And um, the point of all of these kind of communal experiences, family life, our own individual fathers, um, is to point back to that Trinitarian life, where persons are themselves relations. This is the key insight of St. Thomas Aquinas, is that uh, in God, 
persons are relations. And so with the rejection of Christian, the Christian God, the, not only the personal, but the relational aspects of all of reality um, fall away. And everything becomes opposition and power. And then we become God. That's what self-creation is. It's, it's I choose to become God. And so we have to recover what is distinctive of Christianity. And one of the things is the distinctiveness of the fatherhood of God, which is not sexed, right? It's not male. It's this virginal transcendent fatherhood, the origin of all being, that we have access to in the Son, right? So we're not in a direct relationship with the Father. Nobody knows the Father except the Son, right? And nobody knows the Son except the Father. So you and I have a bit of a resistance, though there's a certain truth in this kind of acknowledging oneself as a beloved Son of the Father, which is kind of lingo right now. There's truth in that, but it's not unmediated, right? It's everything is through the Sonship of Christ. That's where we see a real relationship with the Father. And we we can't kind of jump that and kind of commune with just the Father. Uh, we enter into the Trinitarian life in kind of a different way. And I think that uh, one of the tragedies of the scandal and the world that we're living in now um, is, and this is the purpose of Fran Mir's article, is that many Catholics have lost any sense that bishops and priests are fathers. Mm-hmm. And with really good reason. Because they they act like corporate executives. Right. And even uh, some would say they look like corporate executives because we they don't wear they don't wear the robes like they once wore. They wear business suits. And that's where I mean that's where me and Shapu kinda disagreed. Right. Because uh, it was like, why why don't you wear your habit? You know? Yeah. And he's like, I'm I'm a diocesan priest. Like so I'm a diocesan bishop, I mean, so uh, that was part of, you know, his his desire to be one and the same. Which I I appreciate, but like I wish there was something else that bishops could wear other than a suit coat. I wish that I mean I, I, I feel like there are times that I need to do that as a priest too. Yeah. Yeah, and uh there's another great article uh came out a number of years ago called The End of the Imperial Episcopacy. And it's basically all of these titles, your grace, your eminence, cardinal, archbishop, all these things. And this guy is saying, why don't we call bishops father? Because that's what they used to do in the early church. They were father, right? And uh, yeah, is that confusing because they're bishops and these kind of things? But we have to get back to the sense of like the spiritual fatherhood of the local church resides in the successor of the apostles, which is the bishop. And the priests share in that. And we participate and then we image that, image the fatherhood of God in that. Somebody has to be dad, and bishops are not only acting like CEOs, but they're also selling out to the culture. I mean, there's a lot of just guys who are just saying that Christianity is too hard to live. We have to kind of be more accommodating. We have to be kind of, and I don't know, I'm coming up on 10 years, and I'm, I'm doing a bit of an examine on my own life and my own fatherhood, and I've, I'm just, I'm repenting of the ways that I stood at the altar at a wedding or something else and just was like, you didn't father these people. You placated, you, you caved. Yeah. And again, what am I reacting to? The opposite extreme is to be this kind of radical, intense, hardlining thing, which is becoming more popular now. Authoritarian. Yeah. That's not helpful. Um, that's just as dysfunctional. Um, because there's no sense of communion, there's no sense of humility. There are, there are certain... There are certain values that have to be lived in a masculine way in a father. One of them is gentleness, Right? 
and um, Pope yeah. Francis isn't wrong in pointing to these things. But um, man, do we need that? We need. We just need. We need a new generation of bishops who are fathers. And right now, we need priests who are fathers because things are not looking good. Things are not looking good. The, this article, uh, one of the things Franz says is, he says, bishops are anticipating a 25 to 40% permanent fall off in mass attendance and parish engagement after the virus. 25 to 40%. We're already at 20% of Catholics uh, coming to mass regularly. And now we're going to lose another 25 to 40% of that. So this is bad. This is like, this is bad, bad. Yeah. Um, and what, what's the answer? The answer is just to recover and live the Christian life. And that means, uh, and I think the, the hopeful thing in this is that you're not going to have the opportunity to be a bureau- bureaucrat anymore in the future because there's going to be no bureaucracy to do. There's going to be no people. There's going to be no papers to push. Mm-hmm. It's going to get simple again. And that's where we're going. And uh, we're going to need a really heroic generation to take this massive institutional edifice and walk us over this demographic cliff and bring things into a new thing. And we're talking about this. We were talking about this today with all the priests and Archbishop Shep, or uh, Aquila was speaking about this, about moving into a, a mode of mission, which is really important. I think we have to think more deeply about what that means. And he's inviting us to that. It's going to be way harder because it's not just some kind of administrative consolidation process that's that's a short that's a that's a short-sighted temporal approach it's a corporate approach what we need is a it's a spiritual crisis that we're passing through and that's where fathers have to respond i think um somebody has to step into the spiritual crisis and say here is the way forward instead of just let's be more efficient and light on our feet and consolidate things which is part of it i think that's an inevitable mm-hmm. so it's not looking good. And I guess the fatherly piece is to say, as priests, as companions, we, how do I say this? You call us father, at least most of you do. Um, but we have to earn that in a new way. I think we have, to, we have to win people back to being fathers. We appreciate that you call us father because it reminds us of who we are. It's not a title. It's not like doctor um, or something like that. But... Um, priest we got to get serious about um we got to be dad again at the parish in the diocese at the seminary and that means we got to make some hard decisions and that means there's going to be some sleepless nights on whether did i make the right decision and what am i doing and one of the things that i i want to challenge people maybe people and friends that i'm i'm working with families that i'm working with marriage prep couples is like this we've got to we've got to get serious about what this looks like now and one of the things that i said on monday at the bixamins which is just something I've been thinking about recently is um, if you don't make the faith your own, you're going to lose it. That's where we're at. Mm-hmm. So this is dad saying to you, kids, if you're listening to this, parents, if you're listening to this, if your kids do not make the faith their own, they will lose it. Guaranteed. There's no culture to carry people anymore. It's very much so dead. Um, yeah, the current's going in the opposite direction. So they're going to lose it. And I'm watching families disintegrate uh, tragically, and it's not to fault parents or to blame anybody. Some parents do everything right, and it still happens. But if the kids don't make it their own, they're going to lose it. There's no, we can't keep sacramentalizing people and saying nice things on wedding days and uh, pretending like everything is fine. We, we have to, we got to recommit. Mm-hmm. But it starts with, with us priests as, 
actually being fathers and earning that again. And that means making hard decisions and saying some hard things, but not in this kind of um, hardlining kind of alt-right thing that's happening, but just a real authentic presence that says, just like Shep, you said to me, I love you, but you got you to gotta, you gotta repent and change your life. Mm-hmm. What I, my favorite part of that uh, Fran Mare article, Fran Mare article, uh, was the second to last paragraph. He says, "Fran Marticle, Fran Marticle." At the end of the day, what worries and what encourages you the most? He did an interview with all of these different bishops throughout the United States. He says, in case after case, a bishop gave the same answer to each question: young people. The greatest pain is the number of young persons exiting the church. The greatest source of hope is the zeal and character of the young people who remain faithful and love Jesus Christ. And this is why, at some mysterious level, every bishop I interviewed was both vividly alert to the challenges he faces and simultaneously at peace. And it reminded me of a great line from uh, Tim Pennock uh, of Happy Memory. Um, I asked Tim once how he was doing, and he said, "A A father is only doing as well as his worst child. And I've really thought about that because um, uh, in the time of COVID, everybody says, you know, how's your parish doing like with, with COVID and whatever? And it's like, it's important to remember there are those who are doing well in this time. There are those that aren't doing well. And it's hard to do well when some of your children aren't, aren't doing well. Um, and... I don't, I'm not just boiling it down to COVID. It's also like we realize that there are a number of real graces going on in the church and people coming to life and faith and devotion and uh, passion and zeal. But then there's a, lot of, there's a lot of children that are just saying, we're done. And it's not only the children, but they have children. Um, I've talked to families that are like, we we raised our kids, they're walking away, and now we're realizing we not only need to save our kids, we need to save our grandkids. Mm-hmm. And um, so, um, uh, in the midst of all of it, like I, w- I would think it would be helpful if the bishops could reaffirm, and the priests, reaffirm their love for their people. Because I think we've made uh, the church into a lot of uh, clerical work, and it's like, ah, yeah, I have a lot of emails, I have, I have a lot of, you know, meetings or whatever else, but, like, who's the flock? Who are the persons? Like, are we actually attentive to them? And um, I, what, I, what I appreciate about what you're saying is, like, I want to rededicate myself to love for you, um, for love for, for the, the people that I'm, I'm walking with, and you need to make the faith your own, not so that I feel better about, you know, my, my priesthood, but it's like, you, you've got to you got to make your own path. You know, I don't know if that's the, the whatever. There's used to be a, a spiritual that was like, you got to walk it by yourself. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the, yeah. You get like, um, no one can walk it for you. You got to walk it by yourself. Uh, yeah. Anyways, so um, yeah, there's there's simultaneously great hope. There's simultaneously like great reasons for despair or frustration or sorrow. Um, in the end, we, we kind of have the daily anxiety that uh, St. Paul talks about, you know, for the churches and the, the people that, 
the Lord has blessed us with. So, well, we're committing our recommitting our, ourselves tonight to just somebody's got to be dead, and we're going to try and do the best we can. But maybe as a final note, I'll just say um, fathers fail and uh, priests fail, and uh, there's a there's a line from Ratzinger that I always come back to, and we talk about this in the companions. Um, forgiveness establishes communion. For the Christian, we want to understand how do we unify with others? How do we build community? How do we experience communion? What is the source of love? It's forgiveness. This is what Christ exemplifies uh, in the redemption on the cross, is that the way to communion is forgiveness. So what's the point of this? Well, if you want communion with your father, you got to forgive him. And everybody needs to forgive something from their father. No, no father is perfect because every father is just a pointer. He's just a finger pointing to the reality. Um, he's not actually the end in itself. He's the means, and he's not going to guide you perfectly to your end. He's going to do hopefully everything he can, and we'll do everything we can when you call us father to do that. But ultimately, the one who will guide you to your end into eternity and into beatitude in that eternity is God the Father. And he can only be known in Jesus. And so if you don't know Jesus, you're never going to know the fatherhood of God. And if you don't know the Father, then you're going to look to people in this life, fathers in this life, friends in this life, to fulfill, perfect, and bring you into an experience of communion that will ultimately be frustrated and end in bitterness and resentment because no one on this earth can fulfill the desires that our heart are made for. Hmm. So everything's pointing back to this deeper mystery which stands at the origin of all creation, uh, God as Father, and God as providential Father, who is guiding us ultimately to our end. Somebody has to be dead. Somebody's got to be dead. Let's take some shout-outs and call it. Thank you for that yeah. kind of musings tonight. The musings. Yeah, I'm glad that I read it. I'm glad you did, too. Shout-out to Scott V. Robertson oh, perfect. in Jonesboro, Arkansas, who's on his garage cycling. Uh, he's in his garage right now cycling on his stationary bike listening to this. Shout-out to you, Scott. Way to get after it on the trainer. It's brutal. Man. Yep. But you're doing it. Thanks for listening. Um, so uh, we keep finding that certain people listen that perhaps we knew, uh, but, um, but didn't realize listened as closely as perhaps we, we thought previously. So... Um, uh, CJ Mast, Father CJ Mast, uh, said, "Why'd you guys bring up the parsley salad on the oh. on the podcast?" <laughs> First thing my parents asked me whenever I, I came in oh. was, uh, "You know, why'd you put so much parsley in the salad?" So, um, yeah, do you know his parents' names? Um, I don't. Oh, I know Tim so, Mast. Uh, yeah. So Ted, uh, and Ted Mast. Ted Mast. Maybe that's <laughs> who I know. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Matt's uh, family. So, uh, but they, uh, they're Sarah, big, she's great. They're big podcast listeners. Uh, I think his dad went to the University of Illinois. So, uh, looking forward to the opportunity to uh, watch a game with you at some point. Um, but um, I realized, I realized who uh, CJ reminds me of. Do you know? Uh, do you remember Pinky and the Brain? I do. So, do you remember they would always start it off uh, where where Pinky would ask, like, "What are we gonna do today?" Right. Like. That's that's CJ. CJ, what C- are we gonna do? Today? Exactly. CJ's just like bouncing off the walls, and he's just like, like, yeah, like, let's just let's just try this. Like, wouldn't that be fun? And then it's like, we're gonna do the same thing we did every day, right. you know. So uh, I'm I'm glad that CJ has Greg. Greg's kind of the brain, you know. <laughs> uh, he's gonna take over Windsor. 
CJ's more like uh, Pinky uh, and having a great time. So to the Mass family, thanks for raising a good son uh, for all the difficult moments that you had uh, in uh, trying to rein him in. Um, and Father CJ, um, I would just like to point out that I had to shop for Lord's Day recently and bought five pounds of parsley instead of kale on accident. You so did? I did. Yeah. So, anyways, the parsley continues to haunt us. And what you, what, okay. It was actually listed. Okay. I'm okay. holding to this. Okay. Yep. So there you go. Folks, uh, I don't have any more shout outs. Uh, this is Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Check it out. Uh, leave us a review, apparently. Uh, that does help. Every once in a while, I will uh, scroll through those whenever I, I want a good pick me up. Um, and. Um, and even, you know, some corrections because uh, they bring us joy. I noticed that uh, certain podcasts have a 5.0 rating. Ours is somewhere in the fours. Uh, I'm not asking you to give us a five-star rating. I am thankful that people actually tell the truth. There because you go. on some of the other ones, they're just like, oh, yeah, great. Praise God. Like, so awesome. And ours, they're like, get to the topic. Oh, my gosh. All you guys do is talk about yourself, which is true. Three stars. Three stars. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for writing in. We'll see you next week.